Thank you, Pastor, for this opportunity, and happy Mother's Day. I have a few disclaimers before I begin. First is, you'll notice that I'm from New Jersey. I have an accent. So I'd just like to get that out of the way. You don't have to wonder the rest of the time while I'm speaking. <laughs> the next thing I'd like to say is sometimes where we end, but I felt it was important to start there. Mother's Day is a mixed bag. For some mothers, Mother's Day is very joyous. But there are sometimes both joy and sorrow on Mother's Day. There are always in our midst mothers who have lost children that are not with us today. And that's a sorrow. And we don't want to ignore that because that's a very real part of the world around us. And I minister to a lot of women that are in hurtful places. And so that's kind of my heart. And so I just want to start this morning by praying for those who on this Mother's Day also find grief in their hearts along with the joy. Because giving birth brings joy at, as your you see your children born and, and bring, bring them into this world. But for those who have lost children, for whatever the reason, however, let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that you are a God of extravagant love. And your love is poured upon us day by day through the sacrifice of your son at Calvary. And Jesus was a man of sorrows, and he was acquainted with grief. And I know this morning there are mothers here whose hearts still have grief in it from losing a child. And I just pray this morning that the precious Holy Spirit will surround and comfort each and every heart that is grieving, and just fill it with a wonderful comforter that ministers life and health and comfort as no other can do. Thank you that you are faithful and true. We just invite you into this time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I also have one more little disclaimer, and that's as I speak, I don't want you to get discouraged. There's no looking back, right? You can't change what you've done. You've been a parent up to now, many of you. And, um, you know, we all wish we could go back and do things differently, right? Good news is that we can take from today forward and we can do things differently. And so we're only going forward. Everyone has influence. My title is A Mother's Influence. Everyone has influence, though, not just mothers, all of us, whatever, whatever whoever you are. And as Heather expressed so perfectly, no parent is perfect. Uh, none of my my parents weren't perfect. I'm sure you're 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 pretty sure yours weren't, <laughs> and that's okay because with God in the boat and with Jesus in our hearts, He helps us and He makes up for whatever, right? He he He's so bigger than our mistakes, and that's wonderful. That's good news. That's comforting. So this morning we're going to start by looking at some of Bible mothers that I picked out randomly, sort of, <laughs> um, and just looking at the influence they had on their children. So starting with Rebecca. I don't know if you know the story of Isaac and Rebecca, but she had twins, Esau and Jacob. And she kind of knew, God had kind of told her that Jacob was going to be the dominant one. 
And, you know, Jacob stole his brother's birthright. He kind of worked that out. I'm not going to tell that part of the story. It's in your Bible. You can read it. <laughs> and then later on, when it was time for, when, when Isaac was getting older, um, Rebecca was like thinking, oh, I got to work this out. I got to do something. You know, we, sometimes we try and help God, right? We think we have to help God. <laughs> we don't, but <laughs> she did. She tried to help God out. And what she did was she told her son, Jacob, I mean, she instructed him to deceive her husband and his father <laughs> um, to give him the blessing, the patriarchal blessing, which was a big thing in those days, okay? And she told him, go get a, a calf out of the flock and because um, Esau was a hunter and he was always bringing food to his, his father. His father loved his, his food. But Jacob wasn't. And so she said, go get, go get a calf out of the flock and bring it and I'll cook it up. And then I'll send you in to your father and tell him you're, you're Esau and he'll bless you. Now, remember, they were twins. Okay, so there were similarities, obviously. He said, but no, he says, Esau is hairy and I'm not. He'll know it's not, it's not Esau. And his mother was insistent. Well, I'll put skins from the animals on you so you feel you feel more hairy to him, and uh, you'll convince him he couldn't see well. So you know we'll 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 just convince him that that this is that this is Esau, and you'll get you'll get the blessing. So now it was a good thing, right? She wanted blessing for her son, but she was going about it in a very wrong way, and. That was her influence, right? Jacob, Jacob deceived all his life long until one day he finally met God on the way back home and wrestled with God. But he was a deceiver all his life long. And so we see there, that wasn't such a great influence, was it? It was for good cause, but it was handled in, in, a, in an ungodly way. God would have arranged it. God would have seen to it that Jacob got the patriarchal blessing somehow, some other way, but she didn't have to interfere. All right, so then we're going to move on to Hannah. Hannah was barren. She couldn't have children, and she so desired to have children. In Israel, that was like a, almost like a curse if you, if you weren't, didn't have children because they were all hoping that they would bear the Messiah, that the promise was that he was coming. And so... Um, her husband had two wives, and his, the other wife had a lot of children, and she had none. And so she prayed and prayed and prayed, and you can read that story. There's a lot to that story. Um, but she was a woman of faith, and she prayed that God would give her a son. And finally, she, when they were at the temple one year worshiping, the priest saw her, and he thought she was drunk. And she said, no, no, I'm not drunk. She was moving her lips praying. And she said, I'm just praying out of the desperation of my heart. And he said, oh, well, God grant you your petition. That was all she needed. She was excited. Now she's like, yes, God's going to give me a, a, a child. And God did. God opened her womb. And her son was Samuel. And she promised that if God would give her a son, she would take that son back and give him back to God. And the way she did that was she raised him up until he was we don't know exactly what age five six years old it says weaned in the bible 
She only had a few short years with him, and then she was going to take him back to the temple. Now, Eli himself was the priest, but he was not really great with his kids. His kids were doing all kinds of foul things by the gates of the temple. So this took a lot of faith on her part, I think. He, she, but she had promised God that she would take Samuel back and give him to God. She did it. She took him to the temple. I can't even imagine. She didn't live anywhere near the temple. It was a big, long journey they took once a year. And she entrusted him to the care of of Eli. And we see through Samuel's life that something that must have been imparted to him from his mother was obedience. He was listening and obedient. And God used him mightily as a prophet to the whole nation of Israel. So we see there, there was a really godly influence. Then there's another story, and there's a little bit more remote. Some of you know some of the stories about Samson. (laughs) Samson was also prayed for, and he was supposed to be a Nazarite. That means there's certain things he couldn't do and touch. He couldn't cut his hair and, and all sorts of things. Now his parents did that part, but when he wanted to go and find a wife, He was supposed to marry an Israelite, but he did not heed that instruction. And it really caused his demise. He was, he did win a lot of battles for the Israelites because he was so strong and the spirit of God would come on him. But we see there a little bit, his mother's influence was a little too weak to help him avoid some of those major, major pitfalls. And then there was Moses. You know, all know Moses, right? His mother. Anybody know Moses' mother's name? I have it up there, right? Jochebed, okay? Jochebed, she was quite a remarkable woman. Because, again, at the time that Moses was born, there was a command from the Pharaoh that all boy babies, especially boy babies, were to be killed instantly when they were born. Not too much unlike some of the laws we have in our country today, unfortunately. And she had, she was like, oh no, mm-mm, not doing that. This child is from God. I'm not going to let this child be killed. And what did she do? She went down to the river, in the Nile River. She made some sort of a little boat thingy for him, lined it with pitch to keep him from getting wet. And she pushed him out into the water and she told her daughter, go watch. Just go watch and see what happens. And I think she knew that Pharaoh's daughter came down with her maidens and, and bathed not too far away. But she, she, she did that. She had to do that in faith. And sure enough, you know, hopefully you know some of the story, right? Pharaoh's daughter comes down and sees this floating little thing, and maybe the baby was crying, and she has her maidens pull it out, and here's this little baby, this Hebrew baby. And Miriam sees all of this, the sister, and she comes running out, and the Pharaoh's daughter finally says, okay, will you go get me a... Uh, uh, mother for you know someone to care for the baby while it's real small need to be fed and so Miriam of course runs and gets her mother her mother had the opportunity to raise Moses a child that should have been killed at birth to raise him up for a certain amount of time 
until he had a bee brought back to Pharaoh's daughter, right? You can imagine knowing that she only had her child for a few years, that she somehow found a way to instill in Moses the faith of Jehovah, the faith of the great I am. Because Moses, the New Testament tells us in Hebrews that he did not esteem, he was, I mean, he was Pharaoh's, he was living in a palace in Pharaoh's daughter for the majority of, of his growing up years. But he did not esteem the treasures of Egypt above the reproach of believing in Jehovah. He knew that there was a cost there. Now, he didn't do it perfectly. None of us do, right? But that's what the New Testament tells us, that he did not esteem the treasures of Egypt above the reproach of believing in Jehovah. And there's a cost sometimes, isn't there, to remaining true to the God, to God and to our faith. And so his mother did influence him. Then in the New Testament, this is a rather odd one too, I suppose you'll think. But there was Herodias. And it's a, I won't, it's a big, long, convoluted story, right? They, there was all kind of wrong, not good things going on there. And she was, she was angry because John the Baptist had kind of rebu- rebuked, rebuked uh, her. And so she had, they had a big party and Herod called for her and her daughter to come. And she had her daughter dance before Herod very sensuously. And the king was, Herod was so, so moved by her sensuous dance that he said, what can I give you? What would you request from me, the king? And what did she do? She went to her mother. Okay? She went to her mother and she said, what should I ask for? What should I ask for? Now you would think most people would want maybe a nice palace to live in, uh, some money, um, riches. I don't know. I could think of lots of things. But her mother says to her, go and ask for John the Baptist's head on a plate. Wow, that's quite an unusual request. We see there how conviction, sin, can really twist our judgment to ask for something so perverse and foul as that, right? What an influence. And the girl did what her mother, what her mother told her to do, and John was beheaded as a result. So we see influence is big, isn't it? Influence goes on and on and on and on in our lives. Then in the New Testament, we have the Apostle Paul who was training Timothy to follow in his footsteps. And Eunice and Lois, his grandmother and his mother, Paul trusted him. And he said, says in 2 Timothy 1.5, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded in you also. So there we see that their genuine faith had been passed down and was instilled in Timothy, who was Paul's understudy. So we have choices to make, don't we? 
as we have choices every day about everything. You can leave them a million dollars to keep them from what they want, from want, and they can be poor. You can leave them marble-floored palaces to live in, and they can be eternally homeless. You can leave them storehouses of resources, and they can end up eternally destitute. Or you can impart to them the greatest treasure, the greatest treasure in the entire world, God's word. It's the incorruptible, unchanging, infallible words of life. Jesus is on every page. Jesus is the word. There's an old southern lady that I heard once, and she used to sing, and this song went on endlessly because you could put lots of words to it. Jesus is the word, Jesus is the word, Jesus is the word of God. And it went on and on and on, but it's truth. Jesus is the word. And this is a wonderful treasure. When I was a little girl, we used to sing, I have a wonderful treasure, the gift of God without measure. We will travel together, my Bible and I. (laughs) And the Bible will stay with you, will guide you all your life through and your children all their life through if you'll just take enough time to impart it, impart it to them. This was my very first Bible. <laughs> and all it really is is a picture, picture book with, with, with pictures of the Bible stories, very f- not a lot of words, but my mother would read to this, read, read a page from this book every night to us before we went to bed. And we looked forward to it. Now, a few years ago, when we were moving, um, I, I found this book. And I thought, wow, that was my first Bible. It's called The Bible in Pictures for Little Eyes. And it was like precious to me. And I looked through it, and I remember all those pictures. And I thought, I'm going to show this to my brothers when they come to visit the next time. And each one of them, when I pulled this out and I showed, I wondered, you know, because girls and boys, we respond to things a little differently, you know. I wasn't sure it would have the same reaction from them that that it had for me. But they reacted to it exactly the same. When they saw saw it, they were like, oh, that was our first Bible. And it was precious because every night my mother read to us from this Bible. At the breakfast table, my parents always read to us from the Bible. We read the Bible around the breakfast table before school, before every everything. Actually, I learned to read from the old King James Version Bible. That was my first reader. That was how I learned to read. I wanted to read the Bible because everybody around me was reading the Bible. And so it depends on where, what we do with it, right? If we love the Word of God, then we can get other people excited about it. We can be, I think the Bible is my greatest passion, if you haven't figured that out yet. I love God's Word. God's Word sticks with us. God's Word sees us through. 
the best of times and the worst of times. God's word is a light to our path and a guide to our feet. There's nothing that we face in life that his word cannot help us through. To this day, the topic that I can talk to you the most about and most comfortably about and passionately about is the Bible. Okay, it's like salespeople, right? You ever met a sales? When we were in the Poconos, we had a coffee house for a little while, a Christian coffee house, and they said, oh, you have to have a roaster so you can have good coffee. Okay. So somebody, somebody connected us with a, a roaster. You know what a roaster is? <laughs> okay. This is a man that knew everything that there is to know about coffee beans. He knew where every coffee bean was grown, in which country, in which farm, and he could talk to you about coffee from sunrise to sunset, and he was still not out of words. Okay? Man was passionate about coffee. I never heard. Okay. It was an education for sure. <laughs> but there's people like that on all kinds, of, all kinds of topics in this world, right? Depending on what they're involved in. Some people it's sports. Some people it's food. Some whatever. There's all kinds of them. Well, I can tell you, I don't, yeah, Pastor likes food. Uh, <laughs> don't ask me about movie stars or movies or secular songs or musicians. I don't know. But ask me about the Bible, and I'll sit down and talk with you. I love God's Word. Sometimes when you talk to people about God's Word, they get a little uncomfortable. It's not quite their comfort zone. And you can tell. You can tell. It's obvious. And we want this to be our comfort zone because it has everything we need to get us through our lives. Our home was placed for missionaries and for heroes of faith. We once had a, there was a missionary who came to us. He used to smuggle Bibles into Russia many years ago. And the stories this man had to tell, man, I'm telling you, talk about miracles. I mean, God would just protect him and get him across the border, blind the aid, you know, the, they, they had to go through, what do they call that, custom border, you know, custom border customs. Uh, he, would, he would take hundreds of Bibles across the border in those days, you know, it was, it was closed deal. And so we heard those stories. Another guy, another gentleman who was a missionary in Thailand and, um, oh my goodness, the, the way that they lived and the things that they endured and uh, it was just phenomenal, and uh, we were blessed. Our birthdays growing up was not so much about things as it was about spiritual impartation. My father had dear friends who were pastors of a, elite directors of a church, uh, a camp in the Adirondacks, and they were dear friends to us. And whenever we had a birthday, we looked forward to them being part of it because they would pray over us they would give us a bible verse and there was impartation and to this day when my, it's my birthday that's what i'm looking for i'm looking for blessing i'm looking for god to speak to my heart i'm looking for that impartation if you do that with your children pray over them use that that celebration whatever it is to bless your children it will go on, it will go on, and they'll be able to bless their children. You know, it, Jewish culture does this well. You have 
heard, I'm sure, a Jewish mom, my son, the doctor, my son, this, right? But they learned, they've learned a key component to passing down the blessing. What we speak out of our mouths, those words don't go away. Did you ever think about that? This room is full of words, millions of words. You can't see them, but they're there. The word goes out. It tells us in the Bible, the word goes out. And, and, and it just keeps going. I mean, hopefully our prayers, they ascend before God, right? I mean, that's where we want our words to be, before the throne room of heaven, where God is answering and hearing our cries and answering our prayers. But our words don't stop. And if you're speaking cursing over your children and saying how stupid they are and you idiot and moron and, and whatever words are coming out of your mouth or telling them they're stupid, guess what? You're predicting their future. You're speaking over their lives things that you don't want to speak over them. And so we've got to, we've got to know God's word enough so that we can speak God's word over their lives. You are blessed. You are anointed. You know, we, 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 just to share who God is, why we love him, what the word says. Teach them to love the word. Do we understand the whole Bible? Of course not. I don't know anybody I've ever met that said they understood everything in the Bible. You don't have to, okay? Mark Twain said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand, <laughs> There's enough words in the Bible that are clear and understandable. And if we could live them and do them and follow them, we'll be in a very good place. The Israelites were instructed to talk to their children about God's law continually. They didn't have the New Testament. They had the Old Testament. They had the laws, okay? Uh, now this is the, I'm just going to read this to you because I think it's important. Now this is the commandment and these are the statutes and judgment which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. There's a promise there's a promise with it. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's what you want to pass on to your children. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you go to church on Sunday morning. Nope, that's not what it says. You shall teach them diligently to your children when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. We need repetition. We don't remember things because we read it, heard it once, do you? Most of the time. Usually you've got to hear it a couple of times and then all of a sudden you go, oh, okay, <laughs> now I get it. 
So don't ever be afraid of repeating God's word to anyone ever. When the Israelites followed these instructions, they walked in God's favor. When they did not do it, they had endless trouble. Proverbs tells us, my son, keep your father's command. Do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, they will speak with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the law a light. So there we have it. And then again, Paul said to, about Timothy in that from a child, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, there's so many, so many things you can take. There's so many courses you can take today in our world. There's so much education out there. But I want to say today that this is the most important education that you can give yourself or your children or anybody else in your family. We live in a world of misinformation, but the Bible will never give you misinformation because it's the truth. It's God's truth. They say kids don't come with an instruction manual, but I want to tell you that the word of God is our instruction manual, not only for raising kids, but for everything that pertains to life and godliness. A mother always wishes she could shield her child from what would hurt them or harm them, but that's not possible, is it? This is the best protection you can give them. It will hold them through the tests and trials of life. I'm abundantly grateful for the biblical foundation I had as a child. However, it did not eliminate or exempt me from the struggles of life that come to us all. I did not always choose wisely, and as a result, I had to endure and survive an abusive relationship. I suffered with acute asthma at that time. And in my darkest and worst days, it was the foundation of God's word that kept me anchored from total despair. I was this close. There was a time where I said, that's it. I never want to know another Christian woman in my life again. But God wouldn't let me go because there was that foundation for which I am eternally grateful. Many blessings are promised to those who obey God's word and apply it. It's got to be practical. God's word has got to be in our living. It's not just a theory. It's not just words on a page. It's a living experience. The Lord is my shepherd. That's not just a poem we read at funerals. That's an actual truth for our daily lives. Lord, today, I don't know what to do here. You're my shepherd. Show me the way. Guide me. Lead me in paths of rightness for your namesake. Those are prayers we can pray. There's truths that we can live out. And that's where God's word meets us, where the rubber meets the road. And so no matter, don't look back. You, you may not have ever shared the God's word with your children before today. That's okay. Start today. You can't look back. If you never did and your children are already grown, it doesn't matter. Start sharing God's word with them now, more. If they are young, have them memorize it. Read it to them. Read it with them. 
If your children are, go are grown and gone, pray the word over their lives daily. When you speak with them, remind them of God's word, not as a club to condemn them, which is unfortunately what some have done. Because David says again in that prayer, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He didn't club his sheep with the rod and the staff. He protected them from wild animals with the rod and the staff. And that's what our Heavenly Father does, our Good Shepherd. He protects us and he guides us. And so don't be afraid to speak God's word over and 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 over. Got it? Okay. To your children. Our words are so powerful. Speak blessing. There are things that can be avoided by heeding God's word. And so many times we are encouraged to hear God's word and do it. Let's influence our people, our children, and people in our world with God's word. Read God's word, speak God's word, think God's word. That's how our minds get renewed, by thinking on God's word. Live God's word. Psalm 119.2 says, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. Revelation 22.14, Blessed are those who do his commandments. And James 1.22 admonishes us, Be doers of the word, not hearers only. I have a little poem from an old saint of God that says, The Bible, the one book, the only book, the great book, God's book, your book for eternity the book you must have, the book you badly need. Oh, if you miss this book, you miss everything. If you keep out of this book, you keep out of the life of God. If you fail to read it, if you fail to devour it, if you fail to understand it, you fail in everything that is worth having. God is in this book. It is the book of all books. It is the necessity of every soul. Get into this book. Pray over it. Get it into your mind. Live it. Obey it, it will deliver you from the world, the flesh, and the devil, and it will be your passport into glory. Happy Mother's Day.